Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today's Monday, January 27th. And um, I think you know where we got to start the show today. Oh, it, Kobe died yesterday, and uh, it was tragic and heartbreaking. And this is a honestly a really difficult topic for me to talk about. I don't even know. I, I got... When I found out, my entire day stopped. I don't know about yours. And for me, it put everything into perspective. So if anybody doesn't know, yesterday on Sunday morning, Sunday, January 26th, Kobe Bryant was in a helicopter, and it crashed. And all nine passengers on the helicopter died, including Kobe and his uh, 13-year-old daughter, Gianna. And wow, that's, that's so much harder to say out loud. You know, it's, it's one thing to write it down in your notes. It's another thing to say that Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter uh, and everybody else died in that crash. Death is awful. And when this happened, I was like, man, I I know I got to talk about this on the show. I don't really want to because it's just horrific and it's terrible. And again, death sucks. But I want to remember Kobe because Kobe was special because of his work ethic. You know, all those like early mornings at the gym, all those countless hours he put in behind the scenes to make himself who he was. Um... I think that's how we'd want to be remembered. That's how I want to remember Kobe was that work ethic that inspired so many people, myself included. And that's why the world paused yesterday. When Kobe died, it felt like everybody stopped for a moment and we just sat there. For two hours, I was kind of paralyzed just on my phone, scrolling through all the memories of Kobe Bryant and videos and looking through YouTube. And we lost someone who was special. And, uh, you know... It was so cool at the end of when Kobe retired and moved on to another part of his life. He showed so much grace. You know, on Saturday, LeBron James passed Kobe Bryant on the all time NBA scoring list. And uh, even more cool of a story is Kobe, you know, LeBron did it wearing a Lakers jersey, the same jersey, different number, but the same Lakers jersey that Kobe wore when he got on that list. And um, even more interesting was LeBron was wearing on his shoes. An ode to Kobe that said Mamba for life. And how weird and tragic is it that Saturday night, LeBron wears Mamba for life on his shoes and Sunday morning, Kobe dies. Horrifying, man. And Kobe showed so much graciousness. He's been incredibly kind to so many young players, so welcoming. And Kobe did so much for the game of basketball. He just did. Kobe uh, was a, when I was a kid watching basketball, a lot of the reason why I was watching was to watch Kobe. You know, I, I went and watched Kobe's uh, short film last night, Dear Basketball. I, I encourage you to go watch it. It's three minutes. It's on YouTube. Just YouTube, Dear Basketball. And it really shows the, it shows how much Kobe was in love with the game of basketball. He was a kid who grew up. He was a young kid who grew up and lived his dreams. He won championships. He broke records. He set records. And that film was cool because it showed a tender side to Kobe. It showed that tenderness in his heart. It was awesome. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know Kobe. You probably didn't know Kobe. But it felt like we did. It did a little bit. Uh, you know, watching Kobe with my dad was a big part of my childhood. My dad is from Southern California. He's a gigantic Lakers fan. And I, I am so grateful to Kobe Bryant for those memories with my dad on the couch, having chips and cheese and enjoying watching a Laker game. I'll always remember those moments. And that's 
thank you, Kobe, for those moments, man. Uh, it was, um, you gave us a lot of special memories together, me and my dad. And, you know, my final thought in all this is that please tell the people in your life you love them. Please tell the people in your life how much you mean to them. You know, I took last night off. I went and hung out with my family. I hugged my best friend. I enjoyed the moment with the people I love. And uh, you never know when life's going to come to an end. You don't. Um, And all those little squabbles and fights and interpersonal drama, when you're confronted with death, it all just seems meaningless. And it is meaningless uh, when you think about life with that perspective. So tell the people in your life you love them. Whatever you're holding on to, let it go. And uh, enjoy the time you have with the people you love. We lost a great one on Sunday morning, Kobe Bryant. Um, a truly a special person who did special things on a basketball court. But it wasn't, he's not just special because he was talented. He worked his butt off. And I will always, always remember Kobe Bryant's work ethic. And that's how I'm, how, that's how I'm going to remember him was the hours and the countless stories and the work ethic he put in um, and, and the work he did to make himself who he was. Uh, I, I will always be inspired by the work ethic and the legacy that Kobe Bryant leaves behind of work ethic. And uh, the world lost a great. I want to shift gears. Um, I, I don't know how you follow that up, but I do want to say it. Every single episode of Strong Opinion Sports, I do a segment called If You're Struggling, Go Get Help. I think it's fitting to do that now, actually. Um, if you don't know, four years ago, my younger brother took his life. Uh, my younger brother committed suicide February 8th, 2016. We're almost on the four-year anniversary of that. Uh, and it was heartbreaking and really painful. And I learned two really uh, tough lessons when my brother died. Is number one, if you're struggling, go get help. If you're having a hard time, reach out to somebody. Go talk to somebody. Uh, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. I'm required to say that if I talk about suicide. Uh, it's part of the media standards. But I, I really hope you don't just call the suicide hotline. Talk to somebody in your life. Go get professional help and talk to somebody you know personally. Uh, my brother suffered in silence. He never shared his struggles. He, um, one day I came home and my brother was dead on the floor. And that's brutal. That's painful. Um, and I didn't make it clear enough. This is the second painful lesson I learned. So number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. But number two, I didn't make it clear enough to my younger brother that he could come talk to me, that he, if he was having a hard time, he could reach out to me and we could have a conversation. My brother and I, uh, I saw him every day. We, we, uh, we talked about video games and movies and sports and girls, and we never had the, the conversation we should have had. We never had a, a conversation with a lot of depth. And so I encourage you, not only should you tell the people in your life you love them, give them a hug, take care of them, uh, make it clear to them how much they mean to you, but also don't be afraid to have conversations with more depth than just sports and movies and video games and girls or whatever. Um, don't be afraid to be like, hey, are you doing okay? How's this? How's that? Don't be afraid to have conversations with a little more depth, guys. Um, if you're struggling, please go get help and do not suffer in silence. I don't know how to... I think what we have to do here is take a short break. Honestly, I, I need to gather myself. <laughs> uh, the, the Kobe Bryant's death was brutal. I, don't, I just... I don't know. Uh, I do have a good show today. We're going to talk about Eli Manning and uh, revisit the Hall of Fame conversation with Eli Manning. Um, it was a fun... Interesting couple days. I made a video about Eli Manning that got a lot of negativity and a lot of hate. Uh, we'll follow that up. It'll be really fun. I hope on a tougher day, especially with an opening like that about Kobe Bryant, um, I hope that still the show can bring you some entertainment, have some joy, and maybe a nice distraction from everything. So we're going to revisit Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame conversation. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break, and I will be right back. 
All right, we are back. Uh, let's uh, lighten the mood a little bit. I want to shake it out. I really want to. Uh, I want to have a good show uh, and make an entertaining show and uh, have a good rest of the day. Um, let's have a conversation about Eli Manning and the Hall of Fame. I want to revisit that because I made a video the other day called "Eli Manning is not a Hall of Famer," and uh, ooh, oh boy, that video got a lot of hate. <laughs> it was. Uh, let me tell you, it's never fun to have thousands and thousands of people saying you're wrong and you're an idiot and that they hate you. Um, it's, it's never fun to have a lot of people call you dumb. But I do try to listen. I try to listen to the criticism when I receive it. I try to have, have an open mind and say, okay, let's reevaluate. Was I wrong? Let's listen. And clearly, a lot of people disagreed with what I had to say. I listened to every argument. Some of the arguments I thought were really silly. Some of them, though, did open my mind a little bit. And... Um, one argument did change my mind. One argument has made me reconsider and go, okay, that makes sense. That's, this is why Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. But before we get there, I want to say it's, you know, what I said about Eli Manning was, it's not, if it's not obvious, I don't want someone in the Hall of Fame. And uh, you know, I'm stingy with the Hall of Fame. I, I, the reason I said that is I come from a place of, I don't want to just let everybody in. I really want the Hall of Fame to mean something to be special. I don't want to just let any guy with a couple of good stats to get into the Hall of Fame. Now, I think what's interesting, though, is that's clearly not Eli Manning. <laughs> I'll tell you why I think Eli Manning is now a Hall why I've changed my mind and believe Eli is a Hall of Famer. Um, but I do, again, I want to repeat, I want the Hall of Fame to be a special thing that's meaningful and not just let everybody in that we think is good and has an interesting couple of stat lines. Um, here's the argument, though, that convinced me that Eli Manning deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. If I tried to sit someone down and tell them the story of the last 20 years of the NFL, Eli Manning's name would have to come up. If I tried to explain, here's what happened in the NFL from the year 2000 to 2020, Eli Manning's name would have to come up multiple times. Um, you know, you would mention Eli Manning. You'd start with him coming out of college. He was the the quarterback. He's the only the second quarterback in NFL history, second player in NFL history to refuse to play for a team and say, if you draft me, I'm not going there. John Elway did it. Eli Manning did it. I will always appreciate and remember that. It's one of my favorite sports memories of all time. I made a video talking about my favorite moment in Eli Manning's career. I said that. Eli Manning will always be special to me because of that moment. And then, you know, then you go, okay, Eli was the brother of legendary quarterback Peyton Manning. And I'll tell you, I grew up playing catch with my brother in the backyard we would pretend we were Peyton Manning, Eli Manning. We would just, that was the fun thing. And they played against each other. Peyton and Eli had games where they played against each other. That's special. That's cool. And you would have to mention that. If you're going to talk about the last 20 years of the NFL, you have to say, well, there was this crazy moment where Eli and Peyton played against each other in a football game. That's pretty cool. But then, here's what's even cooler, is Eli Manning wasn't just Peyton's brother. And he wasn't just, you know, interesting because of the way he began his NFL career saying he didn't want to go to the Chargers. He eventually made a name for himself. He won two Super Bowls and he was the MVP of both. And I had to be honest with myself. Uh, I'm going to tell my kids about that. When I, when I grow up and I have kids, I'm going to tell them stories about football and what it used to be. And I'm going to say, there was this guy named Eli Manning. He beat Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl. In fact, one of the years, Tom Brady and the New England Patriots were 18-0. They were undefeated heading into the Super Bowl. And Eli Manning beat that team in this crazy play where he escaped a sack and threw the ball downfield. And a guy caught the ball on his helmet. Like, these moments do matter. And so when I, 
I, when I was getting a lot of hate, I was listening to the arguments. And people were like, you can't tell the story of the NFL without Eli Manning. And I said, you're right. I, I agree with you. You can't talk about the last 20 years of the NFL. And you, you, if you did, you'd be forced to mention Eli Manning's name. So I've seen the light. I mean, I want to compare Philip Rivers and Eli Manning. Um, you can tell the story of the last 20 years of the NFL, and you don't need to mention Philip Rivers' name. You don't. Uh, no offense to Philip Rivers. Great career. Sorry, though, you're not, not a Hall of Famer. Um, I would, in fact, I would talk about Michael Vick before I talked about Philip Rivers. Maybe Michael Vick is a Hall of Famer. I'm going to tell my kids about Michael Vick, too, so maybe, I don't know. But it, the point is it came down to this. I came out and said that Eli Manning should not be a Hall of Fame quarterback. And yeah, basically, I walked into a group of people. I walked into a room, and I looked around at the crowd around me. I was like, okay, who agrees with me? Who agrees with me that Eli Manning should not be a Hall of Famer? And uh, I realized I wasn't in a group with a bunch of rational people that have well-thought-out arguments. Everyone, the only people that agreed with me, the only people that said, yeah, Zach, you're right, were people that just aggressively hate Eli Manning and are totally emotional and irrational arguments. And I was like, okay, this isn't my crowd of people. <laughs> this is a, a weird situation to be in. And so I know how this looks. I know that if I just, here's how it looks, I think, from the outside perspective. It looks like I said one thing, I got a lot of hate for it, I changed my mind. I'm not changing my mind because of the hate. I'm changing my mind because people came after me and gave me better arguments than the one I was making. They changed my mind because they were right. Um, I think it makes sense. It, my former position, which is that you can't just let everybody in. It's, it can't be a debate. It's silly because there's literally a committee of people that debates who gets into the Hall of Fame. Why even have a committee if you can't have a debate? It, it just makes sense to me. I was like, okay, fair enough. You got me. It makes sense. Uh, the reason why Eli Manning belongs in the NFL Hall of Fame is because you can't tell the story of the NFL in the last 20 years without bringing up Eli Manning's name. And the Hall of Fame should be a celebration of special moments and special players. And if you're going to do that, yeah, Eli Manning belongs in. I do want to say, though, there is a really terrible argument people make, too. This one kills me. I hate it. So I've made the good argument. I agree. By the way, yes. Eli Manning belongs in the Hall of Fame. Here's an argument, though, that drives me nuts and is truly terrible. Some people try to convince me and say that Eli Manning belongs in the Hall of Fame because if, well, if Joe Namath got in, if Joe Namath could get in, so should Eli Manning. And then they compare their stats, and they compare Eli Manning's stats to Joe Namath's stats. And it's the worst argument I've ever heard in my life. Joe Namath played quarterback in the 60s and the 70s. <laughs> it's a different era of football. You can't compare the numbers of Joe Namath to Eli Manning. The game is completely different. It's completely evolved. We're in a different place. And by the way, Joe Namath gave us one of the most memorable moments at the beginning of NFL history when he guaranteed a Super Bowl win. And then he did actually, in fact, win the, vic win the victory and win the Super Bowl. Joe Namath belongs in the Hall of Fame because of that moment. He was a gigantic part of the growth of the NFL. But you, if you compare the numbers of Joe Namath and Eli Manning, that's stupid and wrong. Context matters. The context of where we were in the 60s and 70s in the NFL is completely different to the way the game is now. Comparing numbers of someone from the 60s and 70s to someone who played in the 2000s is just silly and ludicrous and I think a horrible argument. And so context matters. And to compare Eli Manning and Joe Namath's stats is completely disingenuous and I think very silly. So uh, you can't erase context just to fit the narrative that you're pushing. But I do agree. Uh, Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer because, again, if you wanted to tell the story of the last 20 years of the NFL, you would have to mention Eli Manning. He's been a cornerstone. He's been a pivotal part of the NFL, both the, the duels against his brother playing quarterback, 
the way he came into the league. And then the two Super Bowl victories, the two Super Bowl MVPs, not to mention the numbers he's put up. Um, if, if you were going to tell the story and recap the last 20 years in the NFL, you would have to talk about Eli Manning. And for that reason, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. All right. Um, quarterback De'Eric King is transferring from the University of Houston and heading to Miami. And I want to remind everybody where this story started. Earlier in September, he did something I had never, ever seen before. Jarek King was totally healthy. He was totally secure as a starting quarterback. Nobody was going to bench him or take his job. He had everything going for him as far as health and security with his position. But then he suddenly decided to redshirt, and it did something I've never seen before. It was the weirdest and then also one of the smartest things I've ever seen in college football. I mean, imagine this. This is exactly what he did. Four games into his NFL, into his college football career. Four games. I hope I've said college the entire time, not NFL. Four games into Derek King's college football career. His team was one and three. And he decided to just put everything on hold, red shirt, take the rest of the year off, and come back and play the next year. And I thought it was brilliant. And the NCAA rules allow you to do that. If a player has only played four games in the year, they can still red shirt and put everything on pause take a break, play again the next year, save a year of eligibility in the process. And that's what he did. And I love it. And it's really funny, when I made a video about this in September, I predicted that De'Eric King was, in fact, eventually going to leave the University of Houston. And Houston fans got all mad at me. Houston fans are like, he's not going to leave. He said he's going to be with our program. He said this. And he did say he was going to stay with the program. However, uh, no offense, I was right. Derek King has, in fact, left Houston. Like, we all knew he would. If you had any brains, you're like, yeah, he's going to leave Houston. I think the only people that believed Derek King wasn't going to leave was hopeful Houston fans. I can't blame them. They were hoping their quarterback would stay. I can't blame them for hoping, but sadly, they were wrong. Now, it's interesting, in all of this, the Houston head coach, Dana Holgerson, publicly supported Derek King. But I hope you realize the reason he did that was because he had to. De'Eric King forced Dana Holgerson into a position where basically his hands were tied. Uh, if the head coach had called out De'Eric King for not being committed to his football team and then the quarterback transferred anyway, then it would look like the head coach forced him out. And that's a bad look. You don't want to be the reason a player leaves your program. So Dana Holgerson was protecting himself. Again, he had no choice. His hands were tied. De'Eric King kept saying he was committed to Houston, and so Dana Holgerson had no choice but to embrace him and say, yeah, we love De'Eric King. He's great. He's great. And if he leaves, it's a De'Eric problem, not a me problem. What was the coach supposed to do? I have no idea. I can't blame him at all for the way he handled that. Now, honestly, I really, really want to credit De'Eric King in all of this. Um, I, I love it all. I think it's incredibly smart. He manipulated the NCAA rules to fit his needs. Yes, yes, I wish more people did this. He followed all the rules, by the way. Derek King completely lived within the rules of the NCAA. He redshirted to save eligibility. That's a new rule, totally fine. He said he was committed to Houston. He did. Now, honestly, looking back, it was pretty vague. He said, I'm committed to the growth of the Houston program. Made some vague statement like that. But by committing and saying he want, by, by saying publicly he wanted to be at Houston, which he did actually want to be at Houston, it allowed him to stay there and finish his degree. Then getting his degree allowed him to be a graduate transfer, which means he could transfer from Houston, go to anywhere in the country, and play immediately and be immediately eligible rather than having to sit out for a year. And by the way, the guy got his degree. 
Derek King got his college degree. Nobody seems to appreciate that. Hey, well done, dude. Great job. NCAA people always preach, they're student athletes, they're students, they're students. Well, this student got his degree, and nobody seems to give him any credit or props for that. If that's how it's going to be, if student athletes really are students first, we should really be proud of and give him more credit for getting his degree. I love all of this. Derek King has put himself in a great position. He's smart. He leveraged his skill set. And uh, Derek King used the system for his own good. I love it. I totally support it. He made a daring, unconventional move by redshirting when he's totally healthy, had a secure spot. And um, in doing that and following the NCAA rules, he actually got exactly what he wanted. And by the way, Derek King seems like a good dude. I've watched a lot of interviews. I've heard the way he talks. He seems like a guy with a good head on his shoulders. Uh, you got to realize his position, kind of empathize with the spot he found himself in. Going into his senior year, his college football team got a new coach. And his team was in a horrible spot. And I think he realized, look, I don't want to be here. I don't fit with this new head coach. And so he creatively found a solution to get out of Houston, save eligibility, go play somewhere else. That's exactly what he did. I have nothing but respect and admiration for the way De'Eric King handled this whole situation. It was smart. It was clever. He did everything right. He followed the rules completely. And in doing so, he gave himself a better opportunity to have a good end to his college football career. De'Eric King, I love it. I love it. I love it so very much. So, De'Eric King is heading to Miami. What does that mean? Uh, it's awesome. It's, I think, really great for both parties here. Uh, Miami wants Miami wants a veteran, stable quarterback. That's what they're getting. And De'Eric King wants to play, and he wanted to be wanted. Miami really did want De'Eric King. It's a great fit for him. I'm so curious how all this shakes out because uh, a lot of people, the people I've talked to in NFL circles, do not really look at De'Eric King as a potential NFL quarterback. He's not viewed that way. I don't think that's entirely right. I think if you look at the film, he's got some stuff I think is really good. But I wonder, can this year at Miami change the narrative about De'Eric King? Can he set himself up to be viewed as an NFL quarterback? And the most fun, fun question in all of this is that, what does De'Eric King bring to Miami? What does he bring to the program at the University of Miami? When I watch the tape, uh, De'Eric King has a better arm than I expected. He's really accurate. He can beat man coverage. He's got some great throws. Watch the Texas Tech game from 2018. He's got some great throws down the sideline against man coverage. I was like, okay, that's pretty good. He makes really good decisions. I was actually really impressed. The more I watched the tape, the, the better I thought of him. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to just blow. I don't want expectations to go crazy here. So this is not a prediction, but I want to just kind of put this out there to the world because I think it could happen. And I think it's I want it on the back of people's mind that there's a possibility De'Eric King could win the Heisman Trophy next year in college football. Now, things have to go right. A lot of things have to go right in order for that to happen. He needs good coaching. He needs help from his teammates. But De'Eric King has the skill set to win a Heisman Trophy. The dude can throw really well. He's going to put up a lot of really big numbers, especially playing in the, uh, the ACC, which is a weaker conference, he's going to throw the ball, put up big numbers. He's also an explosive runner, which means that he has, he's got big playability where there, he's going to have a great highlight reel, I believe, and there's going to be plays where you go, wow, that dude can run. 
wow, that's a gigantic 60-yard run. That's a 60-yard throw. He's going to have big plays and have memorable moments as a college football player. And he's going to have a good story because nobody is going to be talking preseason, I believe, about De'Eric King winning the Heisman. Maybe I will because I'm crazy. But I think a lot of people are going to shift their attention to Justin Fields at Ohio State and this guy and that guy. And I, I think that I believe that De'Eric King is going to go somewhat under the radar and be kind of a dark horse. And that's the person people love when they vote for the Heisman Trophy. If you notice, the guy who's the front runner at the beginning of the year never seems to actually win. Every year it's like, well, shouldn't Tua be the front runner? Shouldn't this guy? And then Joe Burrow comes out of nowhere, he wins the Heisman Trophy. Or, you know, like when Lamar Jackson won the Heisman Trophy, he came back the next year. They started the year talking about how Lamar Jackson was the favorite. Lamar Jackson didn't win because he was already there. The person at everybody's mind at the beginning of the year never seems to actually finish the year winning the Heisman Trophy because people like a bigger surprise and more of a dark horse. And that's exactly what De'Eric King will be. De'Eric King is a Heisman Trophy dark horse and someone who could emerge late in the year. I'm not saying he can win, but if things go right, De'Eric King is capable of making that happen. Now, it depends on the situation around him in Miami. He's got to have, he's got a newer head coach. Manny Diaz is, Manny Diaz was in his first year last year as the Miami head coach. They went six and seven, didn't have a great year. We're okay. And then Miami just fired their offensive coordinator. They brought in a new guy. I think the new guy's great. They brought in Rhett Lashley from SMU. He's a young guy. He was a quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator previously at SMU. He'll have the same job at Miami, a better program, probably a pay raise. Wouldn't you want to live in Miami? But he scored a lot of points at SMU, and he scored a lot of points quickly. His style of offense fits really well with De'Eric King's play style. So pay attention. Keep your eye on Miami. They probably will not beat Clemson, but the ACC, the division, the conference they play in, is a weaker conference in college football. I think the Pac-12 and the ACC are the two weakest conference conferences. Uh, the ACC is top-heavy. They have Clemson, who's incredible. But Derek King could shred the ACC, put up really good numbers, and emerge late in the year as a Heisman Trophy favorite. And you'll go, oh, where did this guy come from? But if you're listening to this podcast, you might remember, I was the guy who said this in January. Uh, I think Derek King, put him on your radar. Keep him in the back of your mind. If things go right, he could, in fact, become... Heisman Trophy winner. Pay attention to, to De'Eric King. Keep this whole story in the back of your mind. Now, De'Eric King, that's a tough name. De'Eric. De'Eric. Derek? It's like so difficult for me. It's like De'Eric. I, I have a hard time talking anyways. Can you believe I talk for a living? It makes no sense. Um, we just had the Senior Bowl. We just had the Senior Bowl. And that, that's the, where a ton of NFL top prospects come together and play what's basically an all-star game. Now, I want to go next year, by the way. One of my dreams next year is to get an Airbnb for the week in Mobile, Alabama. Go watch the Senior Bowl all week. Watch practice. After practice every day, come make a podcast about what I saw during the day. Um, but I want to give credit where credit is due here. Uh, there's a guy, Anthony Gordon, is a quarterback I've been really skeptical and critical of. He's a former Washington State quarterback. This week, he did a great job throughout practice, throughout the week. I've heard good things from people who were there about Anthony Gordon. I wish I'd seen it for myself. But a lot of people are speaking highly of Anthony Gordon. He gave great quotes and interviews all week. Um, he showed a lot of maturity. He's very low-key. got a low-key personality. However, he again, he shows maturity when he speaks. And then in the game itself, he played really great. He had three touchdowns. And part of me, the, here's my, I have two thoughts here. My initial thought is I hesitate a little bit when I see, Gordon, see Anthony Gordon 
uh, doing great is because Anthony Gordon had uh, guys wide open, and that's like, okay. However, it's not fair to say to blame Anthony Gordon or put that on Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon can't control how wide open or not guys are. All Anthony Gordon can do is read the defense and throw the ball where it's supposed to go. He did that over and over and over again in this game and throughout the week. And so Anthony Gordon deserves a lot of credit. He did a great job this week at the Senior Bowl and really was fantastic. I've been very, very skeptical of Anthony Gordon. I didn't like the Utah game. I was there live. Uh, I felt like he kind of, he got mopey at the end. I didn't like the way he led his team, but he, and he put a big numbers. However, I don't really buy the numbers. I'm not into fantasy football crap. I think a lot of that has to do with the offense he ran and how many times he threw the ball. And I, again, I didn't love Anthony Gordon's leadership style. But I am happy for Anthony Gordon to prove me wrong. Please, the opportunity is out there. Uh, so far, at least in the Senior Bowl, Anthony Gordon took advantage of that opportunity, did the very best he could. I was really impressed. Great job, man. Uh, I'm really curious to see how Anthony Gordon does moving forward. Will he continue to improve his stock? I mean, um, I don't know what else we have the rest of this year. Really, it's not, none, none of the stuff Anthony Gordon does from here on out to me is going to matter until I'm going to watch his film. We'll do a film analysis video, and then we'll see him in the preseason, and that'll be really fun to watch Anthony Gordon at the NFL level in the preseason as a backup quarterback playing against other NFL players. It'll be really fun. But so far, Anthony Gordon has impressed me, impressed a lot of people throughout the league, and he is rising. He's doing better, um, and he's, he's gaining my respect. I, I want to be clear. I've been really down on him. He is slowly changing the narrative. Can he continue to? I don't know. But right now, I want to just give props. Anthony Gordon did a great job at the Senior Bowl, and I really respect everything he did. His answers he gave, the way he played, the way he read defenses, uh, the way he threw the ball. I was really impressed with Anthony Gordon at the Senior Bowl. Okay, uh, last story of the day. The New York Giants hired former Browns head coach Freddie Kitchens as their tight ends coach. And uh, when this happened, instantly it brought a lot of memes and a lot of jokes. And uh, I think the jokes are stupid, honestly. The fact that Freddie Kitchens went from a head coach to a tight ends coach, I believe just says a lot more about Freddie Kitchens and about the Browns as an organization. The Browns hired a position coach as their head coach. They should have never put Freddie Kitchens in the position as head coach in the first place. Freddie Kitchens, it's called the Peter Principle, was promoted too far and eventually hit a ceiling and shouldn't have ever been in that position to begin with. But Freddie Kitchens was a great, a great position coach. He should have never been a head coach. He was in over his head. It was very clear. Hey, he, he should not have been in that role. But as a positions coach, Freddie Kitchens is phenomenal. And so if you're a Giants fan out there, all mad and angry about this move, you're the one who's wrong here. As the tight ends coach, Freddie Kitchens is perfect where he should be. He's exactly in the right spot. Uh, it's not like the Giants hired him as offensive coordinator. I think that would have been a mistake. But him working with the tight ends is overwhelmingly a good thing. Again, it reflects poorly on the Browns. It shows that, hey, the guy you had as head coach, his next job was tight ends coach, where he probably should have been all along. But for the Giants to hire a guy who's a former head coach, nothing wrong with that at all. Yes, he failed as a head coach, but head coach to tight end coach are vastly different. And I think Freddie Kitchens is a good guy who understands the game of football. He's really good at little technical things. He did a great job. People spoke highly of him. People liked him. And I really think that his failure as a head coach, Freddie Kitchens' failure as a head coach of the Browns, all that's going to do is give him perspective and give him stories and give him wisdom he can draw from to make the Giants' entire roster better in meetings. When they're having staff meetings, Freddie Kitchens can go, yeah, I, I ran into this problem when I was head coach of the Browns. I did this or that. 
not saying everyone's going to listen to everything he says, but his perspective and wisdom is valuable. That's what failure can do when you fail in your professional career and you fail in your life. Hopefully you learn from it and learn lessons to make you do better the next time. I have no problem with the Giants hiring Freddie Kitchens as the tight ends coach. Yes, it's a funny meme. You're like, ha! And the next job. You're stupid, though. I think if you're a Giants fan and you're genuinely mad that they hired Freddie Kitchens as their tight ends coach, you're just wrong. It's, this is a good move for them. He's a good coach. He did so well, he got promoted to head coach, which he never should have done. But as a position coach, Freddie Kitchens is phenomenal. And I think it's exactly where he should be with the, uh, with the Giants organization and with his place in the NFL. Freddie Kitchens should never be a head coach ever again. But as a position coach, yeah, he's phenomenal. He deserves to work. He's a great coach and he deserves to be there. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. Um, that's all I have. Uh, we'll be recording again later this week. Uh, I do have a film analysis I'm working on. I was almost done with it yesterday, then Kobe died, and it just, I don't know, maybe take the rest of the day off, hung up by family. So I appreciate you guys. Hope you have a great day, and uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.